from one man, from Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 31. That is our primary text this morning. Now, I'd like to bring a topical message seeking to address the topic that is on everybody's, everybody's lips at the moment and is the, the subject of race relations or more specifically what is known as racism. It is an important subject because it's certainly getting a lot of attention. It's uh, also causing a lot of uh, division and, and arguments and discussion. You follow it online. And so I thought I'd touch on it because I think at least I need to address it from a biblical perspective. Now for this morning I am indebted to uh, some of the work from Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis. Now in in the process we will also uh, revisit some of the material that we discussed at length in our series on the book of Genesis and some of the people in our church would remember that. So first of all, the Bible and race. The Bible and race. Now the Bible does not use the word race in reference to people. It describes all human beings as being of one blood or the one human race. While speaking in Athens, this is what Paul said in Acts 17 verse 26. He said, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. What this means is that we are all related. All of us as humans are descendants of the first man. Adam was created in the image of God. That's what Genesis 1 tells us. And and through the miracle of the incarnation, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, also became a descendant of Adam. And through his sacrifice on the cross, any descendant of Adam can be saved because our mutual relative by blood, Jesus Christ, died and rose again. And through his blood we are saved. This is why the gospel can and should be preached to all tribes and nations. If there is one big distinction in the Bible, it is the difference between, it is the distinction between those who are saved and unsaved. Those who are repentant and those who are unrepentant. Those who are godly and those who are ungodly. And this is exactly why countless missionaries in obedience to the Great Commission went throughout the world spreading the good news of salvation to all nations. Now until the 1800s, most people spoke of races as referring to such groups as the the English race or the Irish race and so on. However, this Change all, all of this changed dramatically in 1859 when Charles Darwin published his book on the origin of the species. It suggested that different groups of races, uh, races of people evolved at different times and at different rates. Now, one of the leading evolutionists, Stephen Jay Gould said, 
and this, and I quote, he said, biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1859, but they increased by orders of magnitude following the acceptance of evolutionary theory, end of quote. Now, not many people want to talk about this, but this is why Darwinian evolution was and still is inherently a racist philosophy. As a result of Darwinian evolution, many people started thinking in terms of the different people groups around the world as representing different races. But now within the context of, but now they're doing so within the context of evolutionary philosophy. This has resulted in many people today consciously or unconsciously having ingrained prejudices against certain other groups of people. One of the worst examples of this, uh, of the effects of evolution on human relations, there are many, many examples, I'm just going to give you one, happened at the turn of the last century. And it clearly shows the evil effects of evolution on human relations. Otabenga. Otabenga was an African pygmy man who was brought from the Belgian Congo in 1904 by African explorer Samuel Werner. He was brought to America and he was put on display in the Bronx Zoo alongside an orangutan as an example of an evolutionary inferior race. Now this, this, this is abhorrent. This is, but this is, this is what it was like. This abhorrent incident clearly reveals the racism of evolutionary theory and the extent to which the theory gripped the hearts and minds of the scientists of the day. I, um, I was surprised uh, this week when uh, leading scientists Anthony Fauci from in the US said that uh, in relation to the pandemic that we need to trust the scientists more and more and he said science is truth. Well, I, I have to really, I really have a problem with that especially when what science are you talking about? Are you talking about the science of today or the science of the 1900s? Because science is, 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 is seeking to, to know truth, to discover truth but it isn't Truth in and by itself, there is only one truth, that is Jesus Christ. Now contrast that story, contrast that story, that example of Otabenga that I just gave you, with the story of David and Svea Flood, who in 1921, a hundred years ago, they went as missionaries with their two-year-old son from Sweden, Scandinavia, all the way to the same place, the Belgian Congo. Svea died there from malaria after giving birth. But before she died, the seed of the gospel was planted in the heart of one, one African boy who gave his life to Christ and he led his village and then hundreds of thousands came to faith in Christ through the gospel, through the sacrifice of a couple of missionaries who left their comfort, left their home to go to Africa to share the gospel. 
What was it? What was it that, that moved them there, that took them there? It was only the love of Christ. And many others like them who have sacrificially shared the gospel with all people everywhere. Do you notice, if, if you want to understand a little bit more about Christianity and all these things about race relations, the book of Acts is actually quite instructional. Do you notice that uh, when Philip witnesses to the Ethiopian, there is no mention of his skin colour, is there? Not at all. In fact, there was simply uh, a hunger and a thirst to which Philip instructs him and then he continues on his way back home now with a glorious discovery of the gospel. So race, a social construct. Uh, race, a social construct. The Bible teaches, and now science confirms, that we are all part of the same human race. One scientist from Atlanta stated, race is a social construct derived mainly from perceptions conditioned by events of recorded history. And it has no basis, no basic biological reality. End of quote. Some years ago, the ABC News in the US said, and I quote, more and more scientists find that the differences that set us apart are cultural, not racial. Some even say that the word race should be abandoned because it's meaningless. The article went on to say that we accept the idea of race because it's a convenient way of putting people into broad categories, frequently to suppress them. And the, the, the most hideous example, of course, was provided by Hitler's Germany. And racial prejudice remains a common problem, common issue throughout the world. End of quote. So perhaps as Christians we should move away from the term racist. Firstly because it is not found in scripture and secondly because of the influences of Darwinian evolution and the resulting prejudices that go along with it. In Revelations chapter 5 verse 9, Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 we have the language that the Bible does use. And this is what it says. It says, with your blood, referring to the blood of Christ, with your blood you have purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. So maybe a better term would be different people groups around the world. Of course, changing the terms doesn't simply make the sins of prejudice and discrimination to go away, do they? For that, we need people to be gripped by the power of the gospel. The Bible and slavery, our next heading. The question arises, you know, if the Bible teaches all humans are the same, why doesn't the Bible condemn slavery? And both the Old and New Testament mentions slaves and slavery. As with all other biblical passages, of course, they need to be understood in their grammatical and historical context. And, and 
All the descriptions found in the Bible are very different to the evil slave trade that emerged in the 16th century, started by the Portuguese who took the slaves, the black Africans, to Brazil, and then, of course, to the US. That wasn't, that wasn't something that was happening in the Bible. Dr. Walter Kaiser, an Old Testament scholar, said this, he said, and I quote, the laws concerning slavery in the Old Testament appear to function to moderate a practice that worked as a means of loaning money for Jewish people to one another or for handling the problem of prisoners of war. Nowhere was the institution of slavery as such condemned, but then neither did it have any anything like the connotations it grew to have during the days of those who traded human life as if it was a commodity for sale. In all cases, though, the institution was closely watched and divine judgment was declared by the prophets and others for all of the abuses that they spotted. End of quote. Job some 2,000 years before Christ, he recognised that we are all equal before God and should be treated with dignity because we are all made in God's image. This is what we read in Job chapter 31, verses 13 to 15. This is what he said. If I have denied justice to any of my servants, whether male or female, when they have had a grievance against me, What will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Did not, and listen to this, did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? And then of course in the New Testament the Apostle Paul went on to say, Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And then to the Colossians he said, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now in commenting on Paul's Remarks to the slaves in his epistle, uh, Peter Davids uh, writes, he says, The church never adopted a rule that converts had to give up their slaves. Christians were not under law but under grace. Yet we read in the, in the literature of the second century and later of many masters who upon their conversion freed their slaves. The reality stands that it is difficult to call a person a slave during the week and treat them like a brother or sister in the church. Sooner or later, the implications of the kingdom they experience in church seep into the behaviour of the masters during the week. Paul did, in the end, create a revolution. Not one from without, but one from within, in change. In, in which in which a changed heart produced changed behaviour and through that in the end brought about social change. 
This change happened wherever the kingdom of God was expressed through the church so that the world could see that faith in Christ really was a transformation of the whole person. And of course, history tells us that the most ardent abolitionists during the past centuries were Bible-believing Christians. People like John Wesley, Granville Sharp, William Wilberforce, Jonathan Edwards, of course, the former slave trader who wrote Amazing Grace, John Newton, then David Livingston in Africa, the missionary to Africa, all spoke against the evils of slavery and worked tirelessly to bring about the abolition of the slave trade in England and North America and the rest of the world. What about our racial, so-called racial differences? It is interesting that the criteria that people use for race are based entirely on external features that we are programmed, somehow programmed to, to recognise. But genetically, all our so-called racial differences are absolutely trivial. Actually, there is more variation within any group than there is between one, one group and another. For example, if a white person is looking for a tissue match for an organ transplant, the best match may come from a black person and vice versa. Yes, there are differences among us, but they stem from culture, not race. The only reason many people think these differences are major is because they've been brought up in a culture that has taught them to see differences this way. Let's go back to what the Bible says. The Bible says, from one man he made all nations. So if we are all descendants of Adam, why are there seemingly great differences between us, especially our skin colour? Science tells us that there is one major pigment called, you probably know it, melanin, that produces our skin colour. No one really has red or yellow or black skin. We all have the same basic colour, just different shades of it. We all share the same pigments. Our bodies just have different combinations of them. By the way, melanin also determines our eye and hair colour. So let's look at this a little bit closer and, and, and look at the origin of the people groups. Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve, descendants, they filled the earth. However, because of sin and rebellion, the world's population was reduced to eight because, because of God's judgment during Noah's flood. And from these eight individuals have come all the tribes and nations. It is, it is likely that the skin shade of Noah and his family was, let's say, middle brown. This would enable his sons and their wives to produce a variety of skin shades in just one generation. Genesis 11 tells us that not long after, after this, there was another rebellion at the Tower of Babel. And this is what it says. It says, uh, when they said in Genesis 11 verse 4, Come, let us build ourselves a city 
with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So they wanted to, to challenge God's decree to fill the earth and to subdue it and instead to concentrate their efforts and make a name for themselves, to make themselves great. It is a challenge to God. What did God do? God judged them by giving each family group a different language. And it was impossible for the groups to understand each other, so they had to split up. One group went this way, another group went that way. Whoever spoke a certain language went a different direction. And then they went and settled in different parts. The result was that the people were scattered all over the earth. And because of the new language and distance, the groups no longer freely mixed with other groups. And the result was the splitting of the the gene pool. Different cultures form with certain features becoming predominant within each group. The, The characteristics of each become more and more prominent as new generations of children emerge. Generally speaking, you might have noticed that those with darker skin tend to live in warmer climates and those with lighter skin tend to live in colder climates. Why is that so? Well, melanin provides a better natural protection against the sun. Because of this, notice that I said a better protection. I didn't say total protection, I said better. Because of this, those with darker skin would have a better chance to survive in warmer, tropical areas near the equator, as they are are likely to suffer less effects of, of the sun, such as skin cancer, which can develop. On the flip side, on the flip side, because of... Because melanin works as a natural sunblock, it limits the sun's ability to stimulate the liver to produce vitamin D, which helps the body absorb calcium and build strong bones. Now, since those with darker skin need more sunlight to produce vitamin D, they would be less able to survive in northern colder regions where the sun is not out all that much. So those lacking vitamin D are more likely to develop diseases such as rickets, which is associated with uh, calcium deficiency, which can cause slow growth and bone fractures and the like. That's just to give you a, a, a brief explanation of why different people settle in different places. So we have the origin of the different people groups. What about the church, the origin of the church? Acts chapter 2 verse 11, the wonderful declaration. We hear them declaring the wonders of God, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. He says this is the reaction, they were amazed and perplexed and they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Let me give you some answers. It means God's approval on his work in Babel by blessing each people group with their own languages. 
Yes, the fact that we have different languages is a blessing. It is not a curse for God. It means that in regard to salvation, there is no distinction between male or female or Jew or Greek. It means that in Christ, any separation between people is broken down. It means that as Christians, we are one in Christ with a common purpose to live for him who made us. It means that God doesn't look at our outward biological appearance. He looks at our hearts. During his famous speech, I have a dream. You might have remember that. Martin Luther King said, and this is what the phrase that sticks out for me, he says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. In other words, judging by skin colour is very wrong. But judging by character is expected and it is right. From what we have seen these past few days and weeks, the character of many people from all sides of the argument has been found severely wanting. But there's an ultimate judge before whom we will stand one day. I'll go back to our text from Acts 17 and verses 30 to 31. In the past, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. First Adam, the last Adam, the man appointed, Jesus Christ. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Well, I think the church could greatly relieve the tensions over racism, what is called racism, by declaring the sufficiency of the true gospel of Christ. Yes, the gospel is enough. And as leaders, we should teach biblical truths about our shared ancestry. That all peoples are descended from one man, one woman. All equal before God. All are sinners in need of salvation. All of us need to repent. And as we come to the cross, we find forgiveness at the cross because of Jesus Christ. And all of us need to build our thinking not on the latest essay or idea or philosophy, but on God's word and judge all of our actions, which perhaps are sometimes attributed to our culture. They need to be judged by God's word. Our character needs to be judged by God's word. Our behaviour. And if there is sin, there is prejudice and discrimination, we need to repent of that. We all need to put an end to our rebellion against our Creator and be reconciled to Him 
and to one another. This is the message of the gospel. May God help us to give him honour and glory in how we relate to one another and as we take this message of salvation to the world. Amen.